And so getting a confidence in being a child of God again and to be able to look at someone in the eye, not arrogantly, but if someone laughs at me and says, oh, you're a Christian, I'm like, yeah, I am a Christian. So the semiotic is a sign of that confidence. It's a humble confidence. It's not an arrogance, but it's, I reckon it's one of the preliminary steps to evangelism, actually, to encourage people to be confident to be Christian. Welcome back, everyone, to the Shock Absorber podcast. It is fantastic to have you along with us as well. And as always, it's fantastic to have my two usual co-hosts along with me. Tim, how are you? I'll go very well. Thanks, Joel. Excellent. I really like that dramatic head movement when you looked at us. Yeah, well, you can only see that on YouTube, guys. Stop listening and watch it on YouTube if you want to see that. It's very impressive. Thank you. I was impressed. (laughs) I was about to ask how you are, Stu, but then you took a sip of coffee. (laughs) I'm really well. Yeah, you? I've had a cool week. Yeah, you're looking rugged up there. It looks no, very warm. That quite day. warm. Blue. Yes. Uh, blue. I don't. I don't. It's how you describe that material? To, to is so it that bit of a retro surfer sort of um, yeah. thing from the '90s? Sort of. They brought it back again. I found it really quite comfy and warm. It's good. Oh, great. Well, I'm glad you brought up the '90s because we're talking about Soul Revival, we are. which began in the '90s, 1992. Yep, and we're um, this year is the 30th year anniversary of Soul Revival since it started in 1992, yeah. which is fantastic. And also, uh, as we always like to always talk about it, a story or a cultural artifact, we're going to start with Tim's uh, jumper today because that says Soul Revival on it. And <laughs> we're going to begin with that, but we're also going to talk about the numerous cultural artifacts that kind of came out of the last 30 years of Soul Revival yes. Church and how it affected our evangelism because we mm. are talking about whatever happened to evangelism as our season. Uh that's the latest jumper so far. There, are, there is another jumper coming out, which uh, we have the team have put together. But um, why, Stu, are things like Tim's jumper, and Tim can speak to this too, of course, is why do you think they're so important to Soar Revival uh, well, for us to have? Yeah, so, so there's been a bit of a, a love-hate relationship with um, things like cultural artefacts within the Christian Protestant church in the second half of the 20th century and into the 21st century. Uh, some people see... Uh, Things like a Soul Revival jumper as merch or um, just a bit tacky, like some people call used to call it Jesus junk. Like oh, all geez. the stickers like honk if you love Jesus on the back of someone's <laughs> car, stuff like that. And I must admit, sometimes semiotics can get out of hand, but there is a place for them. I think it's helpful as a cultural marker to say that we are uh, really excited about being part of a community which is part of the global uh, universal church. And it's really exciting to be a Christian and sometimes it's great to have creative expressions of community. Now, Colossians, we read that we're to be clothed in Christ, so we don't need any outward representation of who we are as Christians, although right through history, Christians have had cultural semiotics. Um, As an Anglican pastor, I know that traditionally Anglican pastors have worn collars, um, different kinds of collars to other people to designate their office, Uh, just like there are cultural artifacts in other parts of the world. When we started Soul Revival Church, um, we thought it would be great to not only consume cultural artifacts, but also to to create cultural artifacts and produce some things that are fun for uh, people in the community to wear because it just gets conversation going. People say, oh, what's that? Uh, Or uh, it's actually also another way of saying, um, yeah, I'm really excited about being part of this. So, yeah, there's a lot of really good reasons to have, have some what we call semiotics, which is a symbol symbolism um uh, the study of semiotics says that everybody has some kind of symbolism that sort of they use to uh articulate who they are a little Mm. bit so 
the study of semiotics says even the lack of a semiotic is a semiotic in itself. So some Christians would say, oh, I don't want to wear any Christian gear, but that in itself is saying something about that person as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But lots of cultures have different semiotics. I mean, you mentioned this jumper. It's a Quicksilver jumper and it's a surf brand and they've kind of gone back to their past as a bit of a semiotic to talk about um, the continuity of that sport with the present and that there's been earlier generations that have uh, worn uh, labels I suppose some people call it and yeah you know some people don't like labels and they say that's a bit tacky but again the lack of a label is a label in itself yeah. too so I had a friend um, I've actually still got this friend and who will never wear labels he always wears a t-shirt with nothing on it because he doesn't want to <laughs> advertise any company or whatever but that says a lot about him so he's the kind of guy who doesn't like labels so mm. the way we went with the semiotics is we just encouraged uh, again with the shock absorber we call this podcast the shock absorber and we talk to young people about what they think is a fun idea and young people come up with fun ideas and part of that is sometimes ideas of spaces we can create or things we can do together Uh, but it's also sometimes creative things like someone has a design that they've designed and we think let's put that on a t-shirt that's fun so it's not really about trying to make money although um, the jumper tim's wearing if we do make any profits from these clothes these days we uh, send the profits to our indigenous partnerships in western new south wales which is great uh, so there's there's a purpose for that too which is good but um yeah it just i think it's a it's it's a nice confident thing to do to um say yeah i'm really excited about being a surfer i might buy a surf shirt mm. like a billabong shirt or a quicksilver i'm really excited about my community i'm really quite stoked to be able to wear something that says the name of my community on it so that people go oh what's that yeah the idea of semiotics is is interesting isn't it? it's like whatever you choose to wear is still saying something about you i remember an interview with one of my favorite bands called the hives yeah and they great band. and yeah. they all wear suits on stage yes they do and yeah, then that's um, a semiotic and yeah. the interviewer was asking them or oh, like well there's uh, some other bands that say say aren't doing anything about themselves and they don't they they wear like more like whatever they want on stage yeah, and yeah. the singer of the high school well they're ex- doing exactly the opposite to what we're doing yeah, they're still yeah. saying something about yeah, themselves yeah. so that makes yeah. a lot of sense yeah. what you're and, saying. and we don't want to like you don't take something like that and just say it's just about starting a conversation although it can it's also about creating not creating but encouraging a confidence amongst particularly young christians because we've talked in previous podcasts about the fact that we think that particularly australian Christians who've grown up in Christian families sometimes go on to Christian schools can sometimes have a bit of a cultural cringe where they feel not as cool as the rest of society or they feel like a bit embarrassed being Christian. Um, Christians in high school sometimes that are state schools uh, sometimes want to keep their heads down. So when, when Christians see someone confident enough to wear something that has some kind of Christian semiotic they're like oh that's encouraging me to be confident in my faith and Mm -hmm. stand a bit you know Um, I remember someone saying to me once that I think it was a talk I went to once I don't remember where but someone was saying if you were the if you were the prince and and of England and your mother was the queen of England if someone went up to you and went oh are you a prince you go actually yeah I am my (laughs) mother's the queen and you wouldn't look down if someone laughed at you for being a prince you wouldn't look down and yet the speaker said, but we're the children of the king of the universe. But when people laugh at us for being Christian, sometimes we look down. And so getting a confidence in being a child of God again and to be able to look in someone in the eye, not arrogantly, but if someone laughs at me and says, oh, you're a Christian, I'm like, 
yeah, I am a Christian. So the semiotic is a sign of that confidence. It's a humble confidence. It's not an arrogance, but it's. I reckon it's one of the preliminary steps to evangelism, actually, to encourage people to be confident to be Christian. That means we already have a confident stance that's humble, but not aggressive or arrogant. But it's it's not cringy, you know, going, oh, yeah, I actually, I am a Christian. I'm a bit daggy, aren't I? Is um, it like a willingness to wear that, to show that, like, I am part of a Christian it's a confidence, community? Yeah. yeah. And when you think about how, how we're portrayed in the media, we're often portrayed as either really rude and arrogant uh, or really dangerous and hateful, or on the other spectrum, just really meek and mild. You know, it's good to be, you know, be humble, but... The media just portrays us to be people who don't have anything to say. So if we can give our young people a bit of a confidence being Christian in their particular community, then people can benefit from that because it's like, oh, you're confident enough to wear a, a shirt that says something about your church. Um, even if someone laughs and goes, oh, that's a bit daggy, go, okay, if you think it's daggy, that's cool. If someone laughs at me for wearing a surf shirt, I'm going to go, okay, I'm quite happy and you know being part of that subculture doesn't bother me so yeah that's kind of where this can be a really helpful tool for us in ministry tim uh is that um, we we have talked about it before about the jesus beads Mm. about something that was helping people to be confident christians in their uh wherever they were usually at school especially in soul revival i'm just wondering if you had a particular one at soul revival that you really liked a particular T-shirt or oh, something. T-shirt or any, any kind of semiotic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, we did talk right at the start of this season. I think it was the, our first episode where it was just you and I, Joel, and we talked about the Jesus Beads, and that was a really significant one. Mm. Um, and um, it, significant both because it was um, well used amongst our community. Like, we used those colours a lot, um, and people wore them and we had flags and it was quite a large um, demonstration of this is who we are. So it was quite a powerful semiotic because it, it was so well used. Mm. Uh, the other powerful thing about the Jesus Beads was it is not just a simple semiotic like, you know, um, honk if you love Jesus, beep your horn if you love Jesus kind of bumper sticker, but it's it actually in itself tells the story. And so we're using it all the time and we would use it all the time in youth ministry and in children's ministry and just in chatting with people on the street about, well, this is the gospel story. This is the Jesus story that we're living into. And the reason I'm wearing it is because I identify with that story. That mm. is the story that shapes me and that I believe in. And, and so there's a number of things going on there. It was quite um, a simple but also complex semiotic. So I really liked it for that. Um, and it's, it's one that I still use now, particularly in the um, children's ministry that I do. Um, as a here, if you can remember five colours, you can know the whole Jesus story and everything else is just detail. Um, and so that's a really helpful way of articulating um, the gospel uh, to people. So, yeah, I really like that one. I mean, I'm sure that I've had plenty of Soul Revival um, stickers and <laughs> bumper stickers and t-shirts and hats. We and even did things. a CD at one stage, didn't we? A little magazine and yeah, we did magazines, we did video magazines. Still, those CDs are still left over somewhere, aren't There's, they? We, so many we ordered a lot of them. The, the minimum <laughs> order was five hundred, and everyone's like, "We're not going to get rid of five hundred And me being an optimist as usual, like, yeah, man, we'll get rid of five hundred And there's still actually. It, one of the 13-year-olds came up to me last week with a CD. She's like, what's this? And I said, oh, that's one of the CDs we made for Soul Revival. She says, what's a CD? <laughs> so she wasn't asking, what's this Soul Revival CD? No, no, no. What's this weird it. silver disc? She yeah. didn't even know what, what a disc was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the one I was thinking of was, uh, I can't remember when I saw it, and I don't know if it was part of um, Fly Mag, 
which was back that's in, what we called our magazine. It yeah, was a, yeah. but was it? Was it? It wasn't. So that was the video magazine. It was a video so magazine. Sick, Sick mag was the printed. We used we had these yeah. uh, printed, you know, kind of zines that we would give out, um, and then yeah, we moved to video and, yeah. and mm. called it the fly mag. Yeah, which was really <laughs> yeah. It must have been a fly mag, and then it was a thing called. Secret agent Dooley. Yeah, because there was a guy called Scott, Scott, Scott Dooley. Dooley wasn't yeah, it? yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was how to be a secret agent, but he would just he like went to Vinnie's <laughs> and got himself a suit. He wore a t shirt and this, this suit, the ill fitting suit. Yeah, and he just slammed himself in a door multiple yeah. times. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it was like he had to enter a room or something. The whole the whole vibe was he just ran into things. Yeah. yeah. Really so I must have been in year 10 or something. Yeah, I thought that was yeah. hilarious. Yeah, we all. Another, yeah. Um, I remember. One of those fly mag segments that I remember was it was um, it was it must have been two thousand so it was the year the Olympics were coming to Sydney, and the Olympic torch was part of its route was to run down the main street of Gaimi, which is yep. where our church was, yeah. and so the, the there was security like who had blocked off this street stopped all the traffic there were people behind barricades just lying the street to see you know the olympic tour run a through people actually yeah mm. run, run through our suburb it was really exciting like it's it's really close to the uh, sydney olympic park we're getting really close to the start of the games and while we're all standing there uh, a couple of people jump up with this massive soul revival flag that has the five gospel colors on it the jesus bead colors on it and just kind of runs down the main street <laughs> through this gauntlet of all these people. Um, before the, the before the the, the, before the torch came, could come yeah. through, yeah. We ran down. People thought it was part of the Olympics, so they <laughs> <Yeah>. all started <laughs> clapping. So we're all laughing because people thought it was part of the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Look and at it, these athletes. <laughs> and it was just fun because there was this again. It, there was this confidence, um, I think, of just saying we we're, we're Christians and we're having fun and mm. we're. Um, it wasn't uh, like I think now, twenty-two years later, people would interpret that as like highly political because in the last twenty yeah, years things have become be, really yeah. hyper politicized. Yeah, okay. Like, but it, it or wasn't disrespectful, a or disrespectful, or yeah. Like that, yeah. And it wasn't any of that. Like, no. it, it, there was no political agenda. There was no. It was just a, just fun. a joyful, fun, joyful, yeah, yeah of yeah. just being Christians and just kind of celebrating. Um, and who we were and, and the flag and the, the semiotic of the, the five colours that tell the Jesus story was just part of mm. that. The good thing about semiotics is they can change a bit over time. Like back in 1992, we made our first T-shirts and um, just because we wanted to, because we, we were really excited about being Soul Revival and there was only like 10 of us at the time. And then, you know, over time we do different things. The Jesus Beads came along. I mean, the whole shock absorber thing about young people listening to young people it was actually 16 year olds that came up with the jesus beads and they said you know this is a great idea let's use that but that can change and morph over time i mean recently i was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago who said they're really interested in using the jesus beads but they're a bit worried about black and white because um you know green is god created the world black is that when we sinned Oh, sorry. Green is God created. I've been using them for thirty years, and I forgot the order. <laughs> green is <laughs> green is God created the world. White is He's made us to be His friend, and we walk in the light. So the white represents the light, and the black is the darkness. That when sin comes, we can't see God anymore in the darkness. And then red is that Jesus's blood washes us clean, so we can see God again because He is God. And then yellow is that we can have new life in Christ now and into eternity. Mm. Um, and some people have rightly. Um, talked about why is um, white and black 
used symbolically in that. And some people have said, you know, in our day and age, again, Tim, with the, the politics of the world we're in, some mm. people have said, is that, you know, is black representing skin colour and white skin colour? Maybe that's problematic. I've even heard on Christian podcasts, they've actually gone into a big diagnostic about that and how, you know, is the Jesus bead idea actually fundamentally racist because, you know, people who used it didn't see the racism of the white and the black. And um, I was I was concerned about that. So I talked to some of my... Uh, friends who are at, uh, indigenous pastors one time about it and they said well when they've heard us talk about the jesus beads they really resonated with the light and darkness because even in aboriginal culture light and darkness are really strong semiotics of good and evil uh it's not white and black skin color but having said that i was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago who was like oh it's still it, it, you know i'd like to use the jesus beads but it does conjure up issues for some people who think maybe that could be seen as racist but the great thing about a semiotic is well you can modify it you don't if there's a problem with it you can change it and it can grow and change and that's the whole idea of the shock absorber that if young people today are saying oh this could be seen as a racist thing well let's change it because there's no need to cause offense with anything other than the gospel so if there's anything that we're doing as christians that cause offense well unless it's something we we think we can speak to and have an apologetic for there's nothing wrong with changing black to dark gray because you could actually think of that theologically that while our sin causes darkness and we can't and there's darkness motif right through the whole bible but the reality is even though we live in the darkness of sin and we're dead in our sins and transgressions as it says in ephesians chapter 2 uh we you know we live in the darkness jesus brought the light um, as particularly John talks about a lot and that we're children of the light but you could kind of argue using grey that yes we, we, we're living in darkness but God hasn't completely withdrawn his presence from the world and there, there is the light of the gospel um, and there's two, uh, it just occurred to me as I'm talking actually Romans 1 says that you know the creation is there so that we could see God it's not a... Um, uh, it's it's not going to lead us to salvation, but we can still see that there is a God because we can see what He's made. That He's made all this amazing stuff. Uh, but the other thing we could also talk about is using grey instead of black. Is we could talk about mm. the fact that even though there's a darkness of sin in the world, God chose for Himself a people, and that might be a really nice way for people to use biblical theology to talk about the place of the story of the people of Israel in the lead up to Jesus. Because one of the limitations of the Jesus beads is it goes from Genesis to 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 Matthew straight away and it, it probably would be really good to talk about how Jesus came from a people and the place of Israel in that story so gray would re really do that quite well now when I've had those conversations with people at Soul Revival they've often been really attached to the colors that we've got because we've used them for so long like Tim said but I think we're probably going to migrate to that sort of a vibe too that you know getting a charcoal or a gray um, that might work really well so then it's like that's one possibility but i don't know listeners and viewers might come up with a better idea and let us know because that's part of what we're going to talk about today it's we're all doing this together and we're learning from each other yeah. sorry did you have something on that tim i thought you were going to say something oh no i mean the other thing i was just thinking what, sorry, what's tim, the biblical me, yeah. language around this and, and um because as you said you want to you want to cause offense um, if there is going to be offence, you want it to be the gospel, not because of some tool that you've used. Um, and so, you know, go back to what what's the language of the Bible. Um, and yes, we do talk. The you know, John's gospel really strongly talks about the difference between darkness and light. Um, so, yeah, that 
if that was an emphasis, you could talk about that. But Isaiah talks about you know our sin being um, scarlet, mm. and so you know you, that then in the in that particular semiotic, you know, red is usually used as um, you know the blood of Christ or the love of Christ. You know, mm. the tying those two things together. So yeah, I think it's helpful to think through those things. And yes, if there is offence being caused, um, or if it's going to be a blockage to the gospel, and this is what we've talked about throughout this season, if there's we want to, um, the, the evangelistic through line that we've tried to talk about is trying to take strip away the things that may distract people from hearing the clear gospel message of Jesus. And so um, if people are hearing something else, then it's like we can, we can try and explain that away. It's always helpful to have these in conversations. We've talked about those kinds of things. But also, oh, well, it's, it's just a tool. Like, you know, as long as we then have something else, we're actually still evangelising, um, then it doesn't really matter what the tool is um, as long as we're actually getting on with, you know, telling the nations about Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's all right. Uh, I'll just bring it back a little bit to, like, we're talking about saw revival artefacts. Do you remember any of those, some of those things that we talked about, uh, people using them directly as a way to evangelise? Well, the good thing about when we first started the Jesus beads is they were literally beads people wore on their wrists. So teenage Christians would wear them to school in a state school where there's not many Christians. And so it had two effects. One was that if a Christian saw another Christian wearing Jesus beads, it put a smile on their face and encourage older teenage Christians to appropriately mentor younger teenage Christians by just giving them a bit of confidence. So if a young Christian in year seven saw a year 12 kid wearing Jesus beads, they're like, oh, okay, because they look up to older teenagers. Second thing was uh, they'd be in class and someone would say, what's with the Jesus beads? And, you know, I remember back in high school, I I never was confident to share the gospel because I was always worried I'd get it wrong. And so I'd sort of like, oh, I might miss something out or I might misrepresent God. I I don't feel confident to share the gospel because I don't, have a confidence in a framework that I can share it within a framework. And some people go overboard with evangelistic tools and they use them verbatim and it can be a bit clunky. But what was good about the Jesus beads is simply wearing these beads, which, by the way, was culturally fashionable at the time mm. uh, in the 90s too, people wearing beads a lot around their wrists and stuff. Mm. Not so much these days. But um, basically, you know, a kid would see someone in mass wearing Jesus beads and at the end of the lesson, they might go, oh, what, what's with the coloured beads? And the kid, by being asked that question, could go, well, green represents this, white represents this, black represents this, red, and they just told their friend the gospel. And what was great about that is I got feedback time and time again that a lot of teenagers didn't laugh or think that was silly. They just went, oh, that's interesting. So you actually believe that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do actually. Oh, cool. Because of the confidence of wearing it, the person actually approach the Christian from a different point of view. So there's this cultural milieu, who I don't know how to say that word. or Milieu? Something like that. We we should get more sophisticated on this podcast and have a better grasp of the English language. But, you know, there's there's a kind of a – there's a setup between, you know, the conversation you have between a a secularist and a Christian. There's this expected framework, and it deconstructed that framework into a – opportunity for a serious conversation and what i mean by that i was watching hard chat the other day and a pastor was on hard chat oh really <laughs> it's uh, if you don't know what hard chat is it's a fun abc show about people who have a particular interest it's like a game show and they get questions on their interests like might be back to the future or rugby league or whatever and they get a something that they're interested in and they get questions on it and mm-hmm. it's just a bit of fun hosted by tom tom gleason 
Yeah, so that's yeah. right. I think I've done it justice for listeners that are not aware of it. Mm. But anyway, if you, you, you're interested, you could look it up on the internet, mm. Hard Chat. But anyway, there was a pastor on Hard Chat and his interest was the Bible. <laughs> and even Tom Gleason laughed and he went, that's a big book. Like you really <laughs> want to use this as your special interest topic? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah. So that, he pretty much didn't get anything right. It was hilarious. And everyone kept stealing all these questions. But the pastor was really good because Tom Gleason was just getting into him straight away. Like it was almost like, oh, here's the Christian. We can play ball. Let's go. So he's like um, making jokes about sin and judge. Oh, you must be a really judgy person. And, you know, because it's hard chat is the whole thing. The the shtick of it is that you pay out the person. Yeah. And I was just watching that going, yeah, that's kind of like a microcosm of how Mm. secular people think they that's how you talk to Christians because we're, you know, boring or we're a bit stodgy or whatever. But the Jesus Beads was like deconstructing that because for a time, like it probably doesn't do the same thing now, but kids were like able to say, yeah, I'm into that. And kids were like, okay, cool. And if they weren't interested, they just went, yeah, I respect that. Um, And there was a bit bit, bit more of a conversation around it, which was cool. Yeah, I think it... um Social psychologists will talk about um, the idea of a plausibility structure, which right. is the the idea that um, in a particular society there are some beliefs that are easy to believe and others that are harder to believe. And so if you feel like you're like that pastor on Hard Chat and you're kind of there and, and the entire studio is against you and <laughs> just paying you out and you're just there trying to be the only Christian, mm. and um, that's really difficult. There's not there's not a plausibility structure on that show that validates a Christian understanding of the world. Actually, the, the, all of the structures, all of the undercurrents and assumptions of that show and of you assume most of the audience who are watching it is this person's, you know, nutty they're they're, you know they're a real fringe person only fringe people would be interested in the bible we actually have a you know call themselves a christian etc and for the teenager to be in high school and feel like their high school is like hard chat and feel like they're they're just this lone person there's no teachers there's no students there's all of the subjects are taught in such a way the conversations that happen all of those either implicitly or explicitly um, are all uh, against Christianity or at least see it as a, a weird fringe thing. Um, and so what the Jesus Beads did, particularly in those late 90s, early 2000s, when there were all quite a significant number of teenagers at some of our local high schools wearing them, is it starts to create this plausibility structure. You actually realise you've got other people who are in this school um, who are like you. And suddenly that becomes a little bit easier to believe. It, so it's a little bit easier to, to know that I'm not alone in this, mm. that there are other people who are also bold enough to wear um, their faith to Jesus on their sleeve, literally on their wrist or on their shoe or on their bag or something. And so that gives a plausibility structure and it strengthens the faith of those who are there. But it also creates a plausibility structure for the non-Christian kids who are there because they realise that there's not just this one fringe person in the entire high school of hundreds and hundreds of people kind of like this one pastor on hard chat and they it's then easy to pay that person out or think them as weird when actually you look around and it might only be 10 percent of your school population but if you've got 10 percent of your school population who are all saying yeah we're christians and we're confident enough in our christianity to wear on our sleeves and suddenly you've got all of the non-christians who see that it's not just weird and fringe is actually quite a substantial number of their school population who believe in this stuff and that softens the attitude so you will get more conversations like oh you guys believe that oh that's kind of cool 
like, well, oh, that's, just, that's interesting. It's different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it may or it may not um, lead to gospel conversations there for conversions. And obviously we, we hope that that in God's grace will happen and there's ways in which we help structure around that with other things we'll talk about, you know, the chip lunch and um, being confident in SRE classes and those kinds of things, invites from chip lunch um, back to, you know, what was happening on a church site, all of those kinds of things. But even when it doesn't, you've still got um, a lot of people who don't claim faith in Jesus who realise they have friends or classmates who are friends with Jesus. And that brings the tone of the conversation down. And I think a large part of some of the hostility we may face um, in the cultural conversation is there's a lot of people uh, who either don't know a Christian or don't know that they know a Christian. Um, mm. And so it's easy to, you know, make the other, make them an other, <laughs> to, to look at them as, as something strange. There's this, there's this weird little group out there somewhere called Christians. I don't know anyone. I've never met one. I don't interact with them. Um, and so I don't really understand them. Uh, and so these kind of these semiotics that actually just confidently display, not uh, rudely, not um, aggressively, but just kind of just say really gently but confidently, yeah, I'm a Christian. Mm. Uh, I believe in this stuff. Uh, and all of a sudden, you may people may realise, oh, they've actually got a neighbour or a work colleague or you know someone who's sitting across from them on the train that believes in Jesus. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. There's actually more Christians around than I realised. Um, maybe it's not as fringe as I've thought to believe in my little bubble where I've never interacted with a Christian. Mm, that's a good point. Is that something um, uh, in your ministries or having your conversations with people of what you've heard? We talked about the Jesus beads being in the 90s and the 2000s being something really important, helpful to creating that plausibility structure. I remember when people were putting on their skate shoes, for they example. Were, that was yeah. a, that was, I, I, I don't think I did that. I think I had a bracelet, but even so, um, what do you think the version of that is today? Well, that's what's really exciting about this conversation because if if we, you know, there's there's more to say than just semiotics, but the 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 confident thing, if you start with that, is how do we build confidence in young people mm. and in our church members? Now, when we first started with the Jesus beads in the early '90s, the incarnational impulse was that Christians should be trying harder to be a part of the culture rather than being a distinct culture. So we were seen as this strange anomaly within a lot of youth ministry circles in the 90s where a lot of youth ministry was about, well, wear skater clothes, go to a skate park or go surfing with surfers and and wear surf clothes and don't look any different to them. But I remember one of our young crew watched a movie called Point Break and it's a fantastic movie. Uh, movie i love it it's um keanu reeves probably my favorite keanu reeves movie and some people hate keanu reeves but i think he's fantastic but anyway keanu reeves is this detective and he's got to infiltrate this gang of surfers in point break and he has to learn how to surf and pretend to be a surfer and he's an fbi agent he's the clunkiest surfer ever and he walks into this surf shop and there's this 12 year old kid behind the counter and he goes oh i want to learn to surf and he's like 25 or something in the movie and the kid goes you know it's never too late to learn to surf and, and then Keanu Reeves calls him a little rubbery person and he goes, <laughs> this, like, this really awkward interaction. And um, then he takes this pink board down to the beach and he thinks he's fitting in, but he's standing out like a dog's dinner. And he paddles out and all the surfers just laugh at him and go, who is this kook? Like, he looked like a policeman. And um, one of the young crew at our church, we all used to 
laugh at that movie and think it was terrific. And um, one of the young crew said, youth ministers are a bit like Keanu Reeves. <laughs> but you guys, you guys go to the surf shop, you buy your pink surfboard and you come down the beach with us and you hang out and you try and look like us. And we, we can spot you a mile off that you, <laughs> you're actually nothing like us and it's kind of daggy. You might as well just be yourself. And I remember thinking, I'd already thought about doing that anyway, but I was thinking that was a reinforcement to me that maybe that's not the incarnational approach of being cool and hip and wearing the right, you know, Pearl Jam T-shirt and hanging out at the skate park or whatever. Maybe that's not the only way to do evangelism, that maybe another way could be for me to walk in as a Christian to a context and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I've got a Bible here even. Like, that's a semiotic in itself, a Bible. So I used to take a Bible to Scripture and um, it was really interesting that kids really respected that authenticity and I, I felt encouraged in that by by bands like Nirvana like the guys that came out of Seattle was like a breath of fresh air in the midst of all this uh, you know glam rock from the 90s and all these you know pouty kind of guys with big fro- fr- big hair and like yeah. you know tight and leather pants and, and makeup and, you know, yeah, and singing that, yeah. about partying all the time yeah. and then all of a sudden Kurt Cobain gets up on stage with his pyjamas on and starts singing about how bad the world is and everyone's like oh this is cool and apparently when Nirvana started all those bands went okay our era is over they just knew for sure that was it I remember hearing or writing uh, reading sorry in Rolling Stone about how In Excess had this massive crisis that In Excess was a big band from the 80s and when the when grunge came along they're like do we need to become grunge and some of the members just went no this is it we're gone it's over um so I, th- I thought that was an interesting thing because as Christians we're trying to fit into each of the cultures and we're trying to do that out of love because we want to take away any barriers to the gospel that people might have. But in trying to be like those people, um, we're actually maybe not not really able to do that seamlessly because at a point you can affirm a culture up to a point, but sooner or later you've got to actually talk about sin in, in for, for the people in that culture and culture itself. So when do you do that uh, with, within that incarnational form? Um, one last thing I'd say on that is in the 90s too, I was reading up on the Black Panther movement that was in the 1960s, which was an Oakland-based young African-American movement against police violence. And these Black Panthers actually were growing up in homes where their parents who uh, were African-American were straightening their hair, wearing suits like white people, trying to look like white people. And they were trying to live in a white world by looking like white people. But they were never white because they're African-American. And so their children in the 60s went, why are we even trying to look white? Why don't we just get our hair to be big and bold and beautiful and let's put an African comb in our hair and let's wear African clothes. And some of them called themselves African names. And they just really embodied this thing. And the, the, the theory they had was um, that there's this theory called hegemony that um, um, is that when a minority thinks that it can succeed by adapting to the majority. It's actually believing a lie that is perpetuating, saying that you can be successful in this culture if you be like us, but if you're not like us, then we'll always keep you at arm's length. And so the, the Black Panther Party were like, well, let's just be African-American. Let's not try and be white. And I remember reading about that in the 90s, thinking there's a little bit of a crossover with Christians because part of wanting to go into the culture and be a surfer to the culture. Um, you know, we love Christian surfers here at Soul Revival, but to be a Christian surfer is is a bit, there is the danger of he- hegemony that 
maybe we'll be a bit more like Keanu Reeves in point break rather than Mark Ocalupo from Cronulla, who's a world champion surfer. Because at a point, we are distinct and we're different. So what Sorrival started to try and experiment with in the 90s and has continued on to, to this day is whatever form it takes, like however we use semiotics or not use semiotics, it might just be that our distinctiveness is we believe the Bible and we preach the Bible, which is a big part of our distinctiveness here too. Uh, so whether listeners and viewers want to use semiotics or not, the confidence we have to be Christian is really important, that we clothe ourselves with Christ and that we're actually... We have an identity as Christians, as citizens of heaven first, where, and then everything else second. And I think people respect that. And particularly today, I think it's becoming more and more uh, that if you're in a minority, sure, Christianity is, is still like laughed at or, or even try, you know, people trying to keep it at the margins of the conversation. But if we are confident in Jesus... Um, Kurt Cobain wore his pyjamas on stage well why don't we just wear what our comfortable clothing is which is Jesus and we be confident in ourselves and then that leads to us being excited to be going to church again and if we're excited about going to church then we're going to ask people to come along because we're confident and then people might inquire to go yeah well you seem to have found something in your life that means a lot to you I might like to investigate that and that's deconstructing what people think church is it's like um you're saying that like being confident Christians is important to be where Christians first, but then the things like the semiotics and the t-shirts and the fly mag that we've talked about is that kind of supplement that around that yeah, to continue to, to build yeah, up that point, that yeah. confidence. Yeah. Um, Tim, anything else you wanted to react to in reaction to what Stu's saying? Yeah, I was just thinking um, a couple of things from when Stu was saying that. So what one um, problematic aspect of trying to, to fit in with culture as Christians is you you have that Keanu Reeves moment where you actually you, know, you stand out like a sore thumb and you're not very good at it. Um, the other side of the coin is you become too good at it and actually the cultural markers and the cultural values uh, take precedence over Christian values. And this is part of what we've been talking about um, when you get to political and cultural left and right is that when you have these kind of bundlings going on on mm. either side of that political and cultural divide is that often the uh, just the, the non-Christian or non-faith values of either side of that political agenda um, become the sh- begin to shape you more than the gospel or you read the biblical story through the narratives that are predominantly being shaped by either side of that rather than trying to commit in the, you know, to that evangelical fula and says, no, 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 I'm going to use the Bible as my interpretive framework for everything. Um, and so that can be, uh, it, it's difficult, you know, if you, you go right down, um, you know, uh, say the Christian surfers line, which again, we have a lot of respect for, but you know, when you get to that point where it looks like maybe a particular value of surfing and particular value of Christian conflict with each other, what do you do with that? Um, and the danger is if you've kind of committed to an incarnational ministry that says, well, I'm going to be with this group and I'm going to um, shape my um, who I am according to this group, then maybe I will limit some aspect of the Christian story in order to express the values of the non-Christian part of that identity. Uh, and so it's trying to work out that balance. Now, the other thing that Stu talked about is we, when we've made semiotics, um, they have been ones that... Uh, maybe culturally resonant might be a yeah, word. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and so, yeah. It's not the, like a Hessian bag that you wear down the street, is it? <laughs> that's right, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, 
people Sorry. people wear t-shirts and so like, mm. t-shirts yeah. were the the mm. the thing that we took on um wearing beaded jewelry was you know a particular marker of 90s and early 2000s you know sort of skater surfer culture which a lot of our people were kind of you know that was part of their world and so um we kind of rolled with that and that's that's okay like we just kind of you know, it worked in that um culture in a way that it may not work today um and so we're not uh we're not trying to lean really heavily into a culture into in an incarnational way that says well we're going to become like them in order to reach you know earn the right to be heard and therefore taught the gospel to them but neither are we you know wearing hessian sacks and saying well you know um you know the grunge era wore flannels so we will consciously not wear flannels you know because we don't want to be we actually had a soul revival flannel actually did, did we? we yeah yeah we had soul revival one of the girls got a flannel one time and she took it down to miranda fair which is a local supermarket area thing Shopping centre. Shopping centre, that's the word. And <laughs> she just got one of the embroiderers to write Soul Revival on a nice. thing. And we didn't even promote it. Just everyone started going down and getting embroidered shirts. Mm. So yep. yeah, and things that's like that happen organically. It? Yeah, it's the confidence, yeah. It's that ability to say... Christian confidence, you could yeah, call it. Yeah, this, this is who we are. I'm just going to own it. Um, as you say, like that, that Black Panther impulse of let's just... This is who we are. Um, mm. And even if it conflicts with what is seen as some of the powerful cultural forces at work, wherever I happen to be, uh, I'm just going to own it anyway. I'm just going to be confident in who I am. And if that means that I'm in conflict with wearing suits and ties, um, you know, that's okay. So just trying to work out that balance. And mm. it's constantly um, changing. We talked about this as well, that the gospel message doesn't change, um, but because history and culture continues to move on, we're constantly trying to think of, what are the ways in which we have to express who we are as Jesus followers in this particular cultural moment? It's um, it, it, when even with the semiotics, thinking about they're changing. Is that like if you look at what you're wearing now, for example, Tim, and what we're we're doing with the apparel now compared to doing a flannel? That that, that makes sense. Is that we're adapting the culture in that way to be able to make sure we're confident Christians, but we're not changing the gospel message. Um, I was just wondering, uh, we, we keep talking about how we can encourage people to be confident Christians, Stu. Is that one of the reasons why, uh, when the beginning with the Soul Revival Youth Committee, you were, you were grappling with what night you should put it on? And yeah. you, you ended up landing on That's Saturday really night. question. Yeah, so, so it was almost like for me and my friends, we added Christianity last to all the, after we'd done all the other things in the week that we wanted to do. Sure, we went to church on Sunday, but... Um, we went to a Bible study if we had time and then we volunteered to be a youth leader if we had time. So, you know, we were uni students and we played sport and we had interests like surfing and stuff like that as well. And after we'd done all those things, if we had time, we'd volunteer to do youth ministry for a while. It was like not really the core of our DNA in our time at our place. Now, it might have been different at other times and other places for people, but... We, we sat down one night when we couldn't get our little sorrow revival group going. We are trying really hard just to be cool to start off with and we are trying to be Keanu Reeves. We thought the problem with the church is we're not cool enough and people think we're daggy, so let's try and be a cool youth group. Now, we might have just been Keanu Reeves and <laughs> not cool at all, but also we started thinking the whole pursuit of cool is just completely intangible and while we're trying to work out what the culture's done, by the time we've worked it out, it's moved on to the next thing. So mm -hmm. we're constantly behind the times. So we're constantly out of date. 
by trying to copy the culture. So we gave up on that and sat down with the Bible and thought, well, what does God want us to do? And we flicked through the Bible one night and we came across, we are just having a cup of coffee and there's four of us, four youth leaders, just trying to, we, no one had really trained us how to read the Bible properly. So we're just flicking through the Bible, looking for verses that we liked. And in God's providence, he, he sort of um, uh, had us, turn up to Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 40 because we got really struck by that verse because in that Jesus is asked what's the most important thing and his response is love God and love others and we thought yeah we want Jesus to teach us how to love so we're not really loving God and putting him first like Jesus did and we're not really loving other people we, we're kind of being friendly to them but we're not really loving them so we're being friendly but we're not really being friends we're not really committed to God and we're not really committed to other people we're just going along to, to an event at church and yeah we're Christians we are committed to God but this was just our own assessment of ourselves that maybe we got so busy and we'd become we were pursuing so many other things in life that our lives had got messy and really complicated and we wanted to simplify our lives and so we thought we were young and we thought how are we going to put this into practice like it's it's one thing to to say let's put God first but how are we going to do it and we got a bit excited about doing something and so someone said, well, Saturday night is the best night of the week. Let's give that to Jesus. And that was a bit countercultural because Christians often do youth leadership on Friday night, but then they'll go out with their friends on a Saturday night and they'll go to parties or catch up with people for dinner or go to a concert or whatever it might be. I'll go to the pub and evangelise the people in the pub, um, which is fine to evangelise people in a pub, but sometimes I think, in our generation, we were over-spiritualising that and saying, we're going to the pub to evangelise people who don't come to church. And that was quite convenient because we felt like going down and having a beer at the pub so, and seeing a band there. So, we, But we thought Saturday night is, the, is a really special night of the week. That's party night. Why don't we give that to Jesus instead of just Sunday or let's give him the best and our best was Saturday night. And I don't know if that's the same for people these days, but we, we thought let's do that and in, and we didn't make it a formal church event or a formal church group or anything like that in the early days. It was just, if we're going to be youth leaders on Friday, let's actually stop just running a youth group. Let's be a peer group. Let's be a group of friends with Jesus at our centre and let's be a family. And so we as youth leaders decided we were going to commit to every Saturday night hanging out with each other and we're going to open the Bible every Saturday night as a social thing to do, not as a ministry event. And so we hung out in our own time socially around the bible and that bled out into all sorts of other things like we'd go for a surf and people would just spontaneously turn up in the surf not dressed up like keanu reeves trying to be a cool surfer but carrying a bible down to the beach and we'd have a read before we went into the water we'd read a psalm or something and then we'd stand on the beach with our arms around each other and have a pray and then paddle out and then we'd be out the back and sometimes we would talk about god sometimes we wouldn't but it was part of our life we'd go to a coffee shop uh, during the week to meet someone for coffee and someone would get a Bible out and say, hey, let's have a read. Have you read Jude lately? I've never read it. Like, And then people were doing that sort of thing naturally because Saturday night was, now we were bringing the gospel into our social life. And mm -hmm. so we were decompartmentalizing our lives and it was a confidence. It was, we're Christian, that's who we are first. Why don't we live that out everywhere in our life? And it just multiplied from there. So that confidence was we started asking other Christian friends to hang out on Saturday night. We asked other non-Christian friends to hang out. So instead of compartmentalising discipleship and evangelism, 
a confident Christianity does both at the same time, all the time, I think. Mm. So we do church together and we are the people of God who gather together around the word of God and we invite people to come along um, and and hear the message about Jesus. And so preaching was a really big part of the confidence. The Bible was a really important foundation for our friendship and ministry of evangelism was what we were doing as friends. So some friends gather for a surf, some friends gather to play soccer together, some friends go to watch a movie together. We gathered together to share Jesus with other people and that was the core of our friendship group. And we, we went to church on Sunday night, we hung out on Saturday, but pretty soon people were criticising us going, oh wow, your church group expects a lot of people. But they didn't get it because we were actually just hanging out as Christian friends. But the bigger it got, the more it did start, ended up looking like a church group and in the end it did become a church group. But in the early days, no one was paid to do it. We just chose to do it as volunteers. And we did it every week because we wanted this confident consistency as Christians that was we call commitment. And we were committed to God and we were committed to each other as friends, not just as acquaintances. So we wanted to not be just friendly or pleasant strangers with one another. We wanted to be friends. And we actually even started saying, you know, um, it's really exciting that we're becoming best friends for the gospel. We started using phrases like that. And that's where that confidence started growing out of the fact that we enjoyed being Christian and we enjoyed serving Jesus and we enjoyed doing that together. Is the the idea of um, a Saturday night was rather kind of countercultural, like you said. Did that help? Do you think that helped with evangelism in terms of people going, what are you doing on a Saturday night? And you're yeah, like, well, I'm going to hang out at Solis, yeah, which was yeah. at the, what it was at the time. Yeah, well, we call, we, call, we shortened Soul Revival to Solis and we said we're, we're hanging at Solis. And, you know, people still went to parties. And, and sometimes there were issues because um, sometimes people were like, oh, are we accepted if we don't come every week? And I think we didn't articulate that super well in the early days, like we could have done it better. We were reading third place theory that said any community needs to have regulars and irregulars, but we didn't really communicate that part of that theory really effectively early on because we were just calling people to commitment because we didn't have any regulars. So in the early days, we was trying, trying to build a regular group and we called that group the commitments, the committed Christians. But over time, we got better and better at articulating. You can be a regular in this community or regular. That's cool. And uh, that took a while for us to work that out. But we were just young. I mean, I was 21 when we were trying to do these things. So I'm, I don't beat ourselves up too much about that because we're trying to work it out. But that's what we're encouraging our viewers and listeners to do now. Like, What is the current way that we can, we can um, be confident Christians in our culture today and do it together? Because we don't necessarily have to keep copying what we did in the past mm. or what we're even doing now because even our expression of Solis now which is 30 years old which is pretty exciting actually <laughs> like I've been hanging out most Saturday nights with Christians as my peer group for the last 30 years and enjoyed it immensely but um, yeah it's, it's been a, a really fun time and my friends I've made on Saturday nights are probably my closest friends in my life because we're serving Jesus together and that's not unusual because C.S. Lewis says that uh, somewhere in one of his writings, he said, you might remember Tim because I know you're a fan of C.S. Lewis, but he said something somewhere that when when two Christians stop talking about Jesus, then they're not as close as they were when they were talking about Jesus. And I think we don't really equate uh, relationship with the gospel in Western Christianity as much as maybe it would have been in the first century. Because you read a book like Philippians, there's this idea of friendship is a lot deeper in Philippians and the commitment that we have. So... Philippians 2 talks about emulating Christ and friendship used to be if you're friends with someone you would emulate them so if we 
friends with Christ. Jesus says, I no longer call you my servants, I call you my friends. And friendship in the first century was, if I'm friends with someone, your friends are my friends and your enemies are my enemies. And, and I think we've lost a bit of that in our culture. Friends are just like, oh, we like doing stuff together and we like each other. Whereas friendship used to be deeper and more abiding in the first century. And we were trying to re-explore that, I think, to have a deeper commitment in friendship. Mm. Tim, can I get your reflections on having a, a going on a Saturday night? I mean, like personally, you and I have both grown up in Sorrel Bible. Uh, and uh, at Sorrival we decided to start our first gathering on a Saturday night and I've remained a part of that gathering ever since we started. Um, you, however, go to the Sunday Sunday gathering as well, but just looking back, what was Saturday night for you? Was it the same thing that Stu was talking about? Yeah, it was. I mean, by the time I was going to Saturday nights regularly as a... So it was, Saturday nights were from sort of year 11s up um, and so the younger high school crew had uh, youth groups on Friday night and so but that only went to year 10 and so if you were in year 11 uh, you were invited into the Saturday night group and part of that there was a really important friendship aspect of that which was your leaders who had led you from year 7 through to year 10 um, were friends with each other and they were friends with you mm. and they were saying hey now that you're this old or you're in this stage of life um, let's continue our friendship and let me introduce you to the other friends that I've got on Saturday night who are not youth leaders. And so you come into this uh, Saturday night community as a 16, 17 year old, already being friends with your peers, the leaders that you've had leading you for the last four years often. Um, and they are then the, the pivot point between this other larger community of Saturday night young adults that you may not know them all, um, but your leaders know you and your leaders know them. And so there's this connection point. So I kind of grew up with that was fairly well established. Um, so 1999 would have been my first year going to Saturday nights. And I think by that time, there a lot of this language about Saturday night being, you know, setting aside the party night of the week, setting aside the most important social night of the week to hang out with your Christian friends. The idea that we were making a conscious choice to let our discipleship of Jesus and our commitment to our Christian friends being the defining aspect of our calendar um, was you know, we were already talking in that kind of language um, and still you know, working out what does that mean permission wise in terms of you know like I don't need I don't need to feel guilty if I go to a party on Saturday night but I also miss it when I don't yes. and those kinds of things so we were trying to work out that balance and no, I don't think we always got it right but that was my experience was growing up into a already fairly well articulated version of that um, and so, yeah, that was just, you know, I, I bought that hook, line and sinker. Like I was just, yeah, <laughs> as in it, it resonated with me. It made sense to me mm -hmm. that they were, these were my most important relationships mm -hmm. um, and that I was letting um, Jesus uh, and my discipleship of Jesus in this community shape who my friends were, who I hung out with, how I set my calendar um, and all those really important aspects to me um, as a 17-year-old onwards and so it made sense that that was um really important aspect of what i did and so yeah i was there yeah nearly every week um and uh, as you said they, you do become best friends with those people and it's interesting i've talked to a number of people who were around in that same era uh who weren't as strongly connected and they might come once a month or once every six weeks and try and drop in uh and often their reflection 
back to me even you know now as they reflect back was I didn't feel connected um, in that and I've kind of pondered about that and I thought well maybe maybe there could have been a, a more I don't know I don't think if we were unwelcoming but maybe they experienced a bit of unwelcomeness because they walk into a community where lots there's lots of regulars and people know each other really well um, but there's also that sense well of course the people who are there every week are close to each other like if you're part of a soccer club and you only turn up to one every four games you're not and, and no trainings you're not going to be as closely connected with the rest of your team who are training once or twice a week and playing every week i mean that's just that's just how friendships work that's how relationships work oh, yeah mm, the I, proximity thing the proximity yeah I, I can't expect to be close friends with someone i see once a month when they're seeing this other person three times a week it just it's just not going to happen that way no matter how welcoming they are uh it's just not going to be the same and so while we did have a lot of permission um and pe- yeah absolutely people could come once every month once every six weeks totally fine mm. um and hopefully they had a good time they enjoyed themselves while they were there and they were encouraged and they heard the gospel um but it it's just naturally going to be the case that those who did commit um to being there every week who were part of that community and said this is going to be the the primary community that shapes my relationships and my friendship groups of course they're going to grow deep with each other and um, you know, i'm the same as you like my closest friends are those who we went through that time with and that we're still in relationship mm. with um and yeah i think that's that was really significant so yeah it's definitely shaped who i am and, and my understanding of what it means to be part of you know a, a community of god's people yeah, I think that's exactly the same for me. The closest relationships and friendships that I have are those that we built on Saturday night, and also are things like Week Away, which we mm. you know we did every year where we would go away, and go away for a week together, yep, yeah. which we're about to do um, <laughs> in July. Uh, my other question around that though was that if we making um, helping people be confident Christians, um, uh, really trying to spend a, a lot of time together as Christians, how does um, because we talk about evangelism in this, in we have been talking about evangelism in this season, discipleship and mission working together. How does that fit into what we were doing on a Saturday night? That's a really good question. Yeah, there, there was a lot of criticism of us that we were hiding away on Saturday night and we right. weren't doing any evangelism, and it was Christians doing the usual Christian thing. So, a couple of things there. First, of, first of all, uh, Soul Revival had the most explosive evangelism come out of Saturday night that I've ever seen. So combined with the chip lunch at school and with the youth group on Friday night and with people feeling confident to ask their friends to come on Saturday night, 80% of the growth of our community was from conversions. And that was really unusual because on the surface that was counterintuitive because the intuitive Christian thought at the time was the more you spend time together in the church, the less evangelism you're doing. And evangelism, it was fashionable for evangelism to be when I go out with my non-Christian friends to the pub to the pub and I hang out with them and I'm in their world and then I'm going to be able to introduce them to Jesus but I saw more Christians evangelized to the pub Mm. than I saw pub people evangelized to Christianity so I thought that was broken by the 1990s and I still think it is that logic is going to work sometimes but when you think about it if I make a friendship with a non-Christian person and I don't introduce them to my church community and say I do introduce them to Jesus and then the next step is I say, okay, how about we go to church together? They're going to go, why would I go to church? What is, what, what, what's the link there? Because I've experienced my Christian formation with you 
independently at the pub what what's the church bit so there's another step that they have to then take now it used to be fashionable for christians to ask their friends to church but somewhere along the line incarnationalism became more fashionable which was we need to go and be surface to the surface like jesus was a jude of the jew so jesus was incarnate he became man and then he became a jew and he was a jew to the jew so we should be incarnate incarnational and and be some people even go as far as to say be jesus to people and go and go into their communities but what i i say again like we've said we're really big fans of christian surfers but one of the problems christian surfers i think they've shared with me they've had over the years is making making the transition for young people who commit to christ through christian surfers at the beach to then get them committed to a local church because sometimes the groms who are down at the beach who become Christians at Christian surfers don't always fit into a local church with people who aren't surfers, and so they, they don't make that connection. So at a time when it's very fashionable to make evangelism something that happens outside of the church, we reintroduce the idea of why don't you invite people to church? And so I think that's it's not just us hanging out by ourselves. A really important point to make is we were inviting all the time inviting other Christians to come and hang out with us and inviting non-Christians to come and hang out with us and hear the gospel we were preaching every Saturday night, which was kind of weird because we'd be in a social context with up to, well, in our heyday, we, we were getting over 150 people on a Saturday night sometimes um, and we'd, we'd do a talk on a Saturday night and some people go, oh, is this church? I'm like, well, we're, just, we're, just sharing, we're preaching the gospel. You don't only preach the gospel from the pulpit in a church service. So we were deconstructing what church was and making it something you could do anywhere. And because we were doing so many social fun stuff on Saturday night, sometimes we'd just hang out. We had a factory we rented for a while. We hung out in a disused church weekly for a while. But even when we're hanging out in those kind of places or people's homes, we would always have out things we do, like we go and do fun stuff. Uh, we developed early on this fun idea called the Magical Mystery Tour, which uh, I'm a massive Beatles fan, and one of their worst movies was Magical Mystery Tour, where they got a bus and they drove around and did nothing. And actually, the movie's so boring because nothing happens. They just drive around in a bus. And I thought, it, it, with my British sensibility and my humour, I thought it'd be hilarious if we just got in a bus and drove around in a bus all night and called it the Magical Mystery Tour for a Saturday night. And everyone said, what are we going to do? And I go, I don't know, we'll just get in a bus and drive around and see what happens. And everyone got a name tag, either John, Paul, Ringo or, or George, and everyone asked their friends. So there's all these long-haired surfers and, you know, people who weren't surfers and all these, diff, you know, teenagers and, uh, you know, over 16 everyone was. And but, but the thing is, see, on Saturday night, so that we could have 16s hanging out with us, we didn't drink. So... Every Saturday night, that was also very countercultural, that we were exploring what it was to be in a social relationship without alcohol. And anyway, this, these magical mystery tours just went extreme. They, they were hilarious. And Jai and Matt, we'll have to do an episode on one. That they, they just made up these great stories. And it was like a performance art. And we asked other churches to help us to run it. And we'd have 200 people getting on these buses going through... One of them was this back in time thing where we went back to the moment of creation because we were all excited about Back to the Future still, even though it was a bit of an old movie. <laughs> and we went back in a time machine and we went back to we went back to the Garden of Eden. They decorated the factory up as the Garden of Eden and we walk into this dark factory and there was someone, one of the old blokes at church had a really deep voice and, and he was reading Genesis 1 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And all these punks all walk into this room and there's like they've chopped down all these 
branches and stuff and made a forest in in there and the video put this video on the wall of like rainforest and there was like frogs creaking and all sorts of stuff and we walk in there and there's like a petting zoo in the middle of the room there's all these sheep and goats and stuff and we're like what's going on here and then we all go in here it's delightful we're just having fun as christians like we created this performance art and then and then all of a sudden in the out of the darkness a hardcore band struck up and we had this massive mosh there's 200 people moshing in the garden of eden and then we all got back in the bus again and we had to go back forward in time to the medieval era so we go down to the river and there's three dragon boats all lined up with like flaming torches on them and 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 we live across the the river from a youth work site and you could see on the other side of the river they'd set up a medieval banquet and there were fire eaters and jugglers and a massive bonfire and we paddled across the river like 200 of us in these dragon boats over the river and we go and we have this big medieval feast at 12 o'clock at night and everyone had a barbecue chicken each with no <laughs> knives and forks and we just this is unreal so that's the kind of stuff we used to do we just had fun and we went for you know through some other eras and but that's just an example of how you can have a lot of fun when you feel a bit more confident to do more than just turn up to church for an hour a week and i think it's really interesting that we had lots of non-christians there at that night and they were just delighted and there was no alcohol, but they were having so much fun on that night. So, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that you can do on a Saturday night for evangelism. But also all the talks were very evangelistic. So they're all about who is Jesus. He was the centerpiece of our community and we celebrated him every Saturday night. Yeah, and the, the really significant thing that um, I think was it was obvious to me as a teenager and as growing through was that we talked about this in season three, if people want to go back and look at all the different type of youth ministry uh, philosophies and paradigms that the the starting point of doing a magical mystery tour just like many many other things we did at Soul Revival was not how can we run something that non-Christians really want to come to mm. so that we can have the most we can do the, the most awesome thing that a non-Christian 19 year old can think of doing and we'll pull off that um, and so that that's kind of this you know attractional uh, funnel method type of ministry philosophy which is Let's run something that non-Christians want to come to. Um, and that is just constantly fraught because you're always fighting with culture and you're always trying to create um, a, a Christian version of a cultural reality. Like you might have a really great band night or you know, these things. Um, that wasn't the impulse. The impulse was, as Christians, let's really enjoy each other and do the craziest fun that we can do as Christians. Um, and while we're doing it, why not... Like, invite your non-Christians to come too. Um, and so, interestingly, it probably was one of the most fun nights that people, whether they were Christians or not, had that year because yeah, it was it was nutty. Like, yeah. it was just absolute <laughs> random nuttiness um, and really, really fun and joyful. And um, Everyone was dressed up. Everyone they? dressed and up. And we're in public and, and people like looking at us, all these weirdos yeah. going... Yeah. <laughs> one, one of our members, I, th- I think this was the right one, that, that, that medieval one was... Um, uh, one of our members came as a caveman um, and he just wore underpants with this uh, teddy bear <laughs> tied around it. And so it, it looked like he was just wearing this bearskin underpants. And that was the only thing. He, and it was in the middle, of, night, in the middle yeah. of winter. It was absolutely freezing. I thought he was going to get hypothermia. <laughs> but in, in all of this, um, so I think really interestingly, we didn't start from uh, let's, let's do something that non-Christians really want to come to. 
It was how do we express who we are That's as Christians a really good point. And, the, and the joy that we have as a Christian community centered around Jesus. And because we love Jesus and because we love each other, we just want to really enjoy um, each other and our friendship and our who we are as you know, co-adoptees of, this, of the Father. Um, and in doing so, actually created something that non-Christians enjoyed. And, and it was enjoyable because they actually do see, actually this is, this is countercultural. This is different. Um, I could go with this nutty bunch of young adults on a bus tour all night, and there were other magical mystery tours where pretty much we did nothing. Like it really was just <laughs> yeah, driving was to something else, yep. and just nothing happened. Yep. And then for an hour, we spent then, a lot of time on a bus. Yeah, um, <laughs> and there were those kind of. But they, they, can, you can compare like doing that with this joy-filled community. Um, who also really love this Jesus that they're reading about in the in the Bible and talking about really passionately, um, or contrast that to the, all the other things I could be doing on a Saturday night. And there was something um, attractive about that, even though we didn't start from a premise of saying what will be attractional. Um, and I think that's really significant in terms of what Stu said, that, that evangelistic um, uh yeah, the evangelism came from inviting people into a group of people who really enjoyed each other and really enjoyed Jesus. Uh, and that was what how evangelism worked. And as you said, it worked. Like people came and they saw this group, people that they were welcomed into, they enjoyed. Um, there was uh, some interesting Jesus talk going on. That's a bit weird. Um, but as they're welcomed into this group, as they loved and valued and um you know, in enjoying that space, they then come to want to listen to, well, who is this Jesus that's reshaping these people's lives? Why would these people recommit um, their most important night socially of the week to doing this together? And it raises, it starts to um, break down some of those barriers that people might have. It starts to open up the conversations. And because we would do, even just a normal Saturday night would be a long time, hours and hours with each other. And so you've got time and space mm. to have those conversations and people can raise questions and go, look, I really like what you guys do. This is a really fun space. I like the factory. I love this. I love being able to come and just skate around. Um, but, you know, I'm not quite sure about why Christians, you know, hate gays. Like, can you talk me through that? And because we've got hours with each other, we can sit down and say, oh, okay, we, we well, that's really we interesting. Don't we guys. don't, actually. Yeah. Um, let's try and explore why you might think that, what are the messages you've heard, let me take us to the Bible. And you've got this time to mm. do that and to be able to explain, they can say, oh, actually, oh, I can see now that you don't hate gays. I can see where that comes from. And they may end up still not agreeing with us and that's, you know, that's fine. Um, or they may just continue to shape um, their understanding of who Jesus is and who Jesus' people are. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I think that's really fun. I think the, uh, the idea too of Magical Mystery Tour, we were... Another thing to mention is that we, we would do a talk every Saturday night and on the mystery tour we'd do it publicly. Mm. So I remember standing up in Cronulla and Tim Baldwin got up on a rock and started preaching and there's 120 of us standing around all in fancy dress and all these people came over and what's going on here? It was so much fun and people were heckling and Tim was loving it and he was just bantering with people <laughs> and, and sharing the gospel in a park and then we all disappeared. It was like, what happened there? Like, that must have been pretty funny. And, you know, there were, there were uh, guys around the edges of our group just keeping an eye out for anybody that might be unsavoury or might get a bit hectic. But yeah, we did that in Circular Key one night. We've we've been out together as a community, and where we go, we speak. Uh, our youth group sometimes used to go to go ice skating, and they'd sit around in the corner and they'd have a talk. 
in public and it just builds that confidence for the mm. young people and um yeah I, I think it's really interesting too that uh that idea of being in relationship with people not just being pleasant strangers with them that yeah i'm actually keen to dig in with you and share my life with you is a really good thing doing that long-term low-key and relationally and um I think one of the biggest problems we have in our community today is loneliness mm. and people don't have anywhere to belong. So when there's a group of people who say you can belong by just walking through the door and as, as a Christian, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is already, you know, you've got the Holy Spirit, I've got the Holy Spirit. Jesus has reconciled us through the cross to be brothers and sisters. Let's express that. And then non-Christian people who come and see that go, wow, the difference Jesus has made to you is something that I'm fascinated by. And then they hear the gospel and repent and believe it's really beautiful so and people and it wouldn't be uh, what we're talking about too is not just back in the 90s we still do that today and it's still, we call it late night now like i said earlier like things migrate and change we used to call it solis now we call it late night and i don't think saturday night would be saturday night without late night because we just have a church service and dinner and then we'd all go home but there's a big group of people mm. no matter what age they are that sometimes stay till one in the morning just hanging out with each other and it builds really strong relationships but mm. yeah if someone's got a party or they're going away they they do that too but yeah. the regularity of it is important and we heard um a number of weeks back now but when there was we had a crossover episode here with the chip lunch and it was me ethan and um hudson, hudson. um chatting and we we're just talking about how for hudson that uh who is a high schooler now uh, that late night is something that he feels confident bringing his friends to and his friends are coming and um, sitting in amongst uh, and they're uh, not Christians and yet they're coming to late night to e experience this community of Jesus-shaped people um, and just sort of seeing what that's like and thinking about, okay, well, this, this, this is what Hudson means. When Hudson says he's a Christian and then I come to this late night gathering and I see all these people interacting like this and um, this is how they treat each other and this is what they believe and this is the talk that they give and yeah that's really interesting to me and so there is that long-term low-key um, relational discipleship and mission which invites people in to see the group um, and I think that that also there's there's a theological depth there about how Jesus makes us into a body um, that we're not all these little individuals going off doing our own little evangelism we're actually God purposely knits us into the body the the community of Christ in the local context, um, and the local con the local church is where the action is, and so it makes sense that we would invite people into that reality to, as they investigate in Jesus. You're having conversations with your schoolmates, your uni mates, your your work colleagues, your next door neighbours, you know, your barber, whoever it happens to be, and you say, well you want to know more about Jesus? Uh, yes, I can sit down and read the Bible with you. That's a really helpful way of helping people do understand who Jesus is but also come and hang out with my community and then you'll see what the Jesus shaped community looks like and what they do and so I think having uh, lots of things lots of ways in which we can evangelize people and invite people to see who Jesus is and who his people are is really helpful mm. did you have something to add to that shoot? oh no. I was just thinking um, you were talking about Hudson one I think one of the first times his non-christian friends came was when we went from here we were here at Sorovol at Kirui and we <laughs> took I think we were making, what's the right, it's not crumpets, uh, I can't think of what it was. But waffles? Waffles, thank you. But we were, some of the boys brought some lounges across the road to the park and then your son Ethan ran a extension cord from the South Village, like it's a large unit development from the lobby, across a road so we could we could heat what up was, some waffles. Yeah, it was a, it was a pathway. Yeah, it went across the, a pathway that goes near the road. 
Uh, and um, they, those boys turned up and like, oh, I better get them some waffles, see if they want some waffles. And then I went to go and do it and there was already three guys already in the process of doing that for them. So uh, I think waffles that's in the middle of a park with lounges is a very sore Yeah, at like 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, <laughs> very sore <survival. laughs> Yeah. So that was just one of the examples of what you you guys are talking about. That's cool seeing a 17-year-old still, uh, you know, still vibing that 30 years later after yeah. we first started. That it's still cool to just hang out. It's still cool to hang out. Yeah. 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 Um, we t- I mean, we've talked about that in terms of building relationships and things like that. One other thing I wanted to ask you about Soil Revival over across the years was building relationships with other churches mm, and other um, other youth ministries that began with and then other churches later on. Just what was the thinking behind that? We've talked about it in, a, in previous mm. episodes, but it was also to build relationships with other churches in order to, again, I, I, this is my guess, is to help people again be confident being Christians and then mm. to be able to evangelise to their the areas of where they were yeah, as a church. And, and being friends was a big thing for us. I mean, some people have uh, pushed back on our use of friendship. But um, when we said to young... I mean, it, I think it's an ecclesial category because Jesus says, I call you my friends. But also, it's not... We, don't, we never use it and not use the other ecclesial categories like... Um, family or being a wall being a body we use all those terms too metaphors that are in the bible to explain the church um but the friendship thing for us was really powerful particularly in the 90s and i think up until today because uh in australia anyway i think amongst a lot of the people that i know family isn't a major part of their life and for some of you listening it will be but for a lot of australians family is an excuse not to actually have much relationship with someone um, there's a lot of um, uh, families that just meet at Christmas. You know, the extended family will get together, call themselves family, aunties and uncles and whatever, but they're not actually super close. And I think some young people particularly hear us say family and they abide those categories and they think, oh, all these adults in the church are like my aunties and uncles who I don't really have a relationship with. I just turn up to Christmas once a year. So I'll go to church with them, but I don't really get to know them. But then when you use the, the word friend, people go, wow, you're actually wanting to be friends with each other in the church. That That's very challenging because I think a lot of people uh, find that as a deeper category. So with regard to relationships within the church, we're trying to be friends. And then with other churches, we want to be friends with other churches too because our local church is where we do the one another passages and we, we bear one another's burdens and we care for each other. But we're connected to the Catholic church, the not the Roman Catholic Church, but the Catholic Church that is universal church right around the world. Uh, and, you know, we're part of the body of Christ that goes through time as well. And we'll all be gathered together in heaven together one day. So it'd be good to express that as much as we can in this fallen sinful world too. So we just had this vibe of wanting to be friends with other churches and some wanted to be friends back, which we found quite delightful. <laughs> so we used to have get-togethers in the 90s with Menai Anglican and Narrabeen Anglican and... We started a thing called the Treehouse where we all hung out and we did a festival once a year. That was a lot of fun. We shared leadership resources, ideas, programs, but mainly just loved each other. And we all really loved that. And then in 2008, we had a similar vibe with a thing we called the Jesus Movement where we got about 20 churches together that were even not not just Anglican churches, but also Baptist and Presbyterian and others. And we had a lot of fun with those uh, days as well. Um, when we met our Aboriginal brothers and sisters, they wanted to be friends with us and they had this great idea called River Convention, which was they'd go around to all these country towns in each long weekend and have a have a Christian convention. So we used to tag along and really enjoy that. And so friendships with other churches has also been a really big part of 
uh, our DNA because some people say, well, why would you be friends with another church? And our answer was, why wouldn't you be friends with another church? It's heaps <laughs> of fun. <laughs> What's the difference between, uh, we talked about like not just having an attractional event, but at those times we did have big events. What do you think that the difference is between those two when we met all together as, a ch- as churches compared to making, and it, well, I'm probably going to say the difference, an attractional event that's, Mental yeah. appeal to non-Christians. Yeah. So, I mean, Tim might want to say something about this because he's been reading a bit about this lately, but we're, we're tending to do less and less big things together. We've got less confidence to do that. But we still like doing that sort of thing because it's like a big party. The other thing that's really cool about it is that when you get together with other Christians, if you go to a big event with a strong identity as a local church, you can take a small youth group to a big event and not fear that all the, your kids are going to want to go to another church because it's bigger. It's actually we're going as committed members of Gaimer Anglican or Soul Revival or whatever it might be um, to this big event and we're going to be both at the same time. We're going to be part of this bigger group and be our group and we found that when we do it that way that that is really powerful. The other thing is like Tim said earlier that if, if you put on a big concert and try and pretend and do bait and switch oh ask your friends to a concert and then oh by the way now you're here I'm going to share a message with you and do you want to fill in a card and become a Christian people don't like that but if kids go and say our church is running a concert which is a Christian concert and we're going to go to a Christian community and really enjoy it and we're going to have a dance or a mosh or whatever it might be back in the day those words were more more relevant (laughs) but um just showing my age, I suppose. <laughs> but the um, the consequence was kids would go, oh, I might come and check out how you Christians do that. What, what does that look like when you guys do it? And when they came along, we talked before about minority being about 10% actually starts changing things. There's actually a theory of a significant minority. So they reckon that um, 10 uh, political scientists say that 10% of a community can shape a whole uh, community. So... If you've got at least 10% of confident Christians at a band night and you say, this is a Christian event, we're going to hear some music, we're also going to um, open the Bible and have a read, you say that up front to everyone, they know what they're coming to get. It's not bait and switch. They come along. And then when when the band has the first set, you just go nuts and enjoy it. And then part of the night is expected to be, oh, Stewie's going to share a message. He gets up with the Bible and he gets the Bible out. And if 10% of the room sit down straight away and they're confident Christians and they're not afraid of looking like jerks in front of their non-Christian friends and they all sit down, they'll set the culture and the rest of the people there will all sit down. And I've, I've had 25-minute, 30-minute talks at a concert where people have loved it and they've bantered and they've yelled out stuff and have a laugh about it and unfortunately that, that sort of world is where I cut my teeth on preaching. So sometimes people say at church I go on a bit long and sometimes tell a few stories. But <laughs> when you're in a rock concert with 400 people and yeah. you're giving a gospel message, they're not keen to hear an introduction, three points and a conclusion. So, you know, um, I do understand that a lot of Christians love structure and a short sermon, but I also think to engage people and engage their minds and their hearts, it's really exciting to have fun with a talk and really go for it. Um, and I, we, it's not been uncommon for us to have lots of people become Christians in a in a band night because they've just loved the whole thing because it's not compartmentalised. It's even the night, it just flows. That we're Christians, we talk about Jesus. That's what and people want to know that. Like, okay, where did all this come from? I'm seeing all these different kinds of people. I mean, I don't know when the Cronulla riots were. It was two thousand and four or something. Uh, two thousand five. 
Well, 2005, quick story. 2005, the night before the Cronulla... If you haven't heard of the Cronulla riots, very sad period of time in Sutherland Shire where we come from, where there was a whole heap of um, mostly white men um, in the Shire had a riot down at Cronulla Beach to because uh, they wanted to get rid of all the uh, people from outside of the Shire from coming to the beach, particularly of other ethnicities. It was a real shameful day in Southern Shire history. And actually to this day, if you say you're from Cronulla, people still go, oh, Cronulla riots. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was a shameful day. Well, that happened on a Sunday. The irony is that the night before that, we were having a soul revival night where we'd invited some of our friends from other churches to come and have a hip-hop concert together. Now, we didn't usually have hip-hop at, in the Shire at the time and that was new to a lot of us so we had a lot of Christian friends from Western Sydney Christian friends from Aboriginal communities uh, we had there were Lebanese people there there were Aboriginal people there there were Islanders there there were white people there and we're all having this big uh, concert together having a great Christian party together with all these churches probably a hundred of us and um, anyway people's phones started pinging that night um, people getting SMS messages saying People were going down to Cronulla and they were going to demonstrate and take the beach back, something like that. And people were saying, hey, Stu, are you getting these messages? And I hadn't got one, but the teenagers were like, look, everyone's talking about going down the beach to have a right. And my, my thought was, I was looking around the room going, why would that happen? That's not going to happen. And I'm looking around the room, there's Aboriginal people and Lebanese people mm. and there's Islanders and white people and Asian people and we're all enjoying a hip-hop night together in the name of Jesus. And it was like heaven to me. I'm loving this with the friendships with these different churches. And I just thought, oh, look, I think these guys must be just having a go. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. And I remember my shock and horror the next day when it was on TV. And I remember turning on TV and here's this live footage of this riot down at Cronulla. And I was just shocked and, and really saddened. But I also felt that very weekend there was one of the most multicultural gatherings that our community had had in the Sutherland Shire in the name of Jesus, and I couldn't think of a starker contrast between the Christian church in the Sutherland Shire and the secular um, place that it was at back then. It was it was chalk and cheese. And I think that's the difference a confident, loving community makes when we hear the message of the gospel and we seek to express it and we invite people to come to it. It is something we can invite people to see. It is really important that we don't lose confidence in the local church and we we get excited about gathering together. However people who are listening or watching end up doing that, do it as it's authentic in your place, but do it confidently in the name of Jesus and preach the gospel and share the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus person to person, generation to generation, culture to culture and place to place. It's a very exciting and important message that we have in our culture, particularly for us in the Southern Shire. Mm. Uh, so that's probably a good place to wrap it up. I think... What we could say, though, is that uh, what's emerged from this podcast is trying to encourage each other to be confident Christians. And I think uh, I have to count you as two people who have done that for m myself. So thank you very much for that. And I think, um, yeah, I think that's something that hopefully our listeners and, and viewers can really take heart from as well and really get, get behind. So um, thank you for today, guys. It's been really enjoyable conversation thank you to everyone that's also been listening thank you also to our producer dave who hangs around at the back is always ready to go he's even looking a bit crook today so he's, he's still ready <laughs> still behind the camera making it happen um if you are interested in looking at any of those semiotics that we did talk about today particularly with soul revival you can check out soul revival.shop 
uh, all of our proceeds from the sales on that shop go to our Indigenous ministry partners, as Stu said earlier. Uh, you can also, if you just want to add to the conversation, email me at joel at shogazorba.com.au. Uh, definitely subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, whether it's on YouTube or your favourite podcast app. And check out the Discord link. We'd love to continue the conversation on there as well. Having said that, we'll wrap up this episode. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to two confident Christians in my life. <laughs> and we'll finish with the one way. One way. One way. One way. One way.